information you can trust, stories you can relate to, and tips and tactics you can apply on your next adventure. Hunting, fishing, camping, and everything in between. This is the Battle Mountain Podcast. Well, I have Fred Bohm on the podcast, so we're going to kind of talk about the art of telling the whole story with one picture. Um, yeah, you can video a lot of stuff, and, and I, I love video as much as the next guy, but I think there's something to be said for telling either the whole story or a bunch of the story in one picture. It's a lot harder to do uh, than one might think, so... That's kind of the direction we're going to head with the podcast. So thanks for tuning in to the, uh, the episode, and thanks for being on the show, Fred. I appreciate you taking your time. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. Yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of where did, where did your, uh, you know, your love for photography and all that kind of stuff, where did, where did that really stem from? Man, you know, honestly, it's been, uh, I've been doing it a long time. I started, now I'm 41 years old, so when I went to, right out of high school, I took some classes, uh, and this was back in the day when it was, uh, I mean, what, it was color photography, but, but I was doing black and white back then. That was the easiest, cheapest way to go, and literally developing it, uh, you know, taking the film and going in, developing that, and then printing this, or uh, uh, using all the Lightroom and whatnot, and, and actually printing out these, uh, these photos. So it started back then, and I wasn't really into hunting that much then. I'd hunted as a kid, so it wasn't like focused on that. It was just whatever. I, I lived in New Jersey, so I'd go into the city and do architectural stuff and, you know, skateboarding, whatever it was at the time, you know, doing photos of that. So it started a long time ago, um, and then I, I didn't stick with it much. You know, I didn't make a career out of it or anything, but years go by, and I, you know, eventually settled down as a career as a motion designer which, you know, in, encompasses both video and I'm sure there's a ton of stills in there and it's mo motion graphics, uh, just design type of stuff. So I, you know, I, I continued with it then and a lot of that was post-production. Um, so that's where I get a lot of my skill set for post-production work with photography or any motion that you may see on my Instagram stuff. So that, you know, that's from the motion design side. So that's been going on for a while, but just I'd say since really getting back into hunting the last five or six years, it just lended itself so well to photography. Um, you're in some of the most beautiful areas that you can imagine. I mean, these beautiful mountains or, you know, stark plains. And the other thing is you're always up during the golden hour. So you're up looking for animals in the morning and the evening, and that's a perfect time to shoot. And then the middle of the day when it's kind of slow, you know, it gives you the opportunity to go out there and just kind of take a bunch of pictures. So it just lended itself really well to hunting. Um, and then I just kind of, you know, so it, it kind of feeded that love again and got back into it and didn't really want to do the, uh, the video side of the things because I knew the, I'm going to be quite honest. I knew the amount of work it was going to take to, you know, provide, to create really good videos that, uh, that people would enjoy. So, you know, I just kind of got into the still thing and I, I liked trying to be able to tell a story, uh, through one single image. Cause okay. Video you get music to set the mood you get voiceover to kind of tell the story and then you get actual motion to help direct where everything is going where a still image yeah you can still get motion out of it you know through motion blur uh and whatnot but you got to tell everything without 
the use of words without the use of voiceover or, or music to set the tone. You got to do all that through one image that somebody sees. So I, you know, thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that that is what, you know, obviously lends to the challenge of it is doing that, you know, a, a really simple analogy there, or, uh, you know, you, you look at a, a running crick creek right and you go to take a still image of that well a lot more is going into that to make it look like it's a running creek and things are happening with a still image as opposed to a five second clip where you can hear and see you know the the water running by so that's uh that's it's it's like a whole new challenge in itself you know what i mean Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, you have to. I think it's, it's, there's a lot more planning involved. And I'm not, and again, I'm not putting video down, but for me, just specifically talking about um, still images, there's a lot of planning that goes down. Just, you know, you need to add depth into the image. So it's usually, you know, entails something like a foreground subject and then a background image. And all those things, you're utilizing them to tell that story. Um, you know, whether whatever you have the subject doing helps do that, but then whatever's in the background is going to kind of tell you where, you know, the environment that person's at. Is he, is he hunting in the plains? Is he hunting in the mountains? Is it raining out? Is he miserable because it's snowing or, you know, is it the elation of, of just killing an animal and, and then, and you're finding cool ways of showing that rather than just doing, you know, the typical trophy shot, the hero shot of just holding up the animal. But how can you tell a story? about what you're doing out there and then the feeling and the mood that you had at the time that that was going on. What can you use within that scener that's available to you right there in order to tell that story? And I think it's fascinating because I mean, it's endless. You know, we, we all have our interpretation. It's funny. I'll go out with other, you know, another person, another hunter that's also a photographer and we come back and our images are totally different and they have a different feel. You know, you start to develop a style. A certain person has a certain mood to their, images you know do they let go more towards close-ups and show the person's face and that and that and uh that or do they do something like what typically do wider shots i mean i'm used a combination of you know any of the above but people start to develop styles and you could take two identical environments and tell two totally different stories and it's just up to the interpretation of the photographer yeah yeah you definitely couldn't have said that any better it's uh and that that goes too with uh, being a videographer, absolutely. But also being an editor, you know, you can you can really see the the different styles and the different stories that different editors will feel and get from the footage, and then portray in their end results. And I think that's. I think that also comes through, you know, when I, when I'm looking at your pictures and things like that, um, like, uh, the, the one picture that you posted where you were talking about, uh, going uphill and being sunk in the mud and, uh, yeah, yeah, it just, uh, it, it, yeah, I, it, it, it's interesting because it just, there's just there's so many ways that the story can be told um but there's only so many ways that you as the person is going to tell that story i guess does does that make sense 
It does. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got a different, you know, interpretation of what's going on. And, you know, that's a beauty of like that specific image you're talking about when you could get into compositing. Um, you, you could turn stuff that isn't really reality into the reality in the image, you know, and then try to tell your story that way. So, you know, some people love that. Some people hate it. Some people want it to be that, you know, strict photography, whatever's in the camera, that's all, you know, you don't do any color grading, you don't do anything to it. And that's, that's fine. You know, everybody's got their own way of doing it. I like to do a lot of that compositing stuff because it gives a little bit deeper meaning um, behind it. And it's just fun to me. So yeah, I mean, everybody's got their own way of interpreting what they see. And uh, that's the beauty of what we get to do is that, you know, we get to, we get to voice, you know, voice our opinion on what's going on out there or what we see. Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite. I haven't done a hardly any of, you know, the compositing and things like that you're talking about with still image, but I can tell you that is definitely, you know, with video that is aside from actually being on the hunt and taking the video, um, it is one of my favorite things to do is to come home and check it all out and then try and relive and retell that story the way that the way that I saw it and the way that I felt I experienced it. Um, so I would I would assume that when you go back and you start doing that kind of the kind of editing and compositing and things like that on your your photos, I would assume that you're trying to really portray the way that it was really happening with you or, or, you know, what's, what's kind of your goal as, as far as your, your end goal? Well, I guess that would vary depending on what my, the objective is when I go out, you know, a lot of times if I'm going out on a hunt, I'm really just taking pictures of what's going down on the hunt, you know, thinking about how, you know, how I'm going to write about it and how these pictures are going to support the writing that type of thing. Now, if I'm going into something like the compositing, that's a totally, that is thought up way ahead of time. <laughs> Cause that's going to, I have to set that shot up out there. Like some of those images you may see, they may be three or four or five different pictures from a, a tripod where I'm going to be in the shot. I won't be in the shot. I'm throwing something in the shot. And then later I'm painting that all in, in Photoshop or, you know, whatever I'm doing. So those are thought of ahead of time. So that I'm thinking ahead of time. Okay. What am I trying to say? in this image or with this idea and how can I best visually show that? Um, whereas if I'm just going out and I'm on a hunt, I'm just taking pictures of what's going on. So that's not really much forethought. You know, that's usually in the moment. Oh, this looks cool. The weather's really cool today. Or, you know, this angle is a lot different. I could actually get up and climb this tree. So there's a lot of things like, like that, you know, when you're in the moment, you're trying to find, a different way of showing something as opposed to just a standard, okay, you know, just stand there, clicked, you know, taking a picture in somebody's face, big, you know, wide angle shot, just that, you know, the, the family photo type of mm -hmm. look. I'm trying to avoid that at all costs, but I'm trying to find different ways. What's in the environment that's cool? What's in the environment that's telling the story? Um, so, you know, it, it varies. And a lot of times before I go out on a hunt, I will put a little bit of a shot sheet together. Yeah. You know, if I'm yeah. thinking like, if I, go to say like New Zealand, like what am I going to want to see there? Uh, uh, you know, and of course that's 90% of that's thrown to the wind. Once you get there, you know, you start shooting different <laughs> stuff. But some ideas, what to do when you're there. So when you're kind of stumped, I go back through my phone, look at my shot sheet. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I wanted to get something like this that I'm able to do it. So a lot of times, yeah, I do. There's a lot of forethought put into, um, put into it actually before I pick that camera up. 
Yeah, I think I think you just hit on a really good point that can be, you know, uh, you know, not just put into your compositing and your your thought behind, you know, what you're going to edit in Photoshop and things like that. But I think even uh, a videographer, because I don't know about you, but uh, if I'm going to watch a video hunt. I don't much care to watch somebody stare in the screen and talk to that screen for, you know, five minutes telling me what's going on. I would much rather see cutaways, um, scenery cutaways, walking cutaway, whatever else, you know, good cutaways, good quality cutaways. And, and I think even so much as after day one of the hunt, uh, and this, this is something that I was thinking about just yesterday. I was like, what can I do to do to have better cutaways, to have better footage? And I say, well, after day one of that hunt, you're sitting at camp that night it's dark review some of the some of the footage where maybe you were talking to the camera or whatever else and then like you're saying write down a shot list of the type of cutaways that you're going to need to be cutaways for what you talked about on day one and then continually doing that throughout the hunt man i bet by the time you got home your your cutaway selection would be much better for the talking and stuff like that that you've done to the camera <laughs> absolutely and that's you know that's i guess a term in the industry or a phrase in the industry is you know shoot for the edit you know so thinking before you go out there, you're thinking about the edit right away. So yeah, if you're talking to the camera and all of a sudden you're saying, oh, it was miserable this morning. Well, you better have a shot of how miserable it is. Or, right. <laughs> you, know, or, you know, so you bet, yeah, you need to have some kind of visual, some kind of visuals to back up what you're saying. So it, that is, I, I never thought of it that way. Again, I don't do much video, but that's a great idea. Once you're back at camp, okay, well, you know, you're going to use this little bit of interview footage. What did you say in there? And what can you go out and capture the next day? Uh, to be able to back that. So no, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, it just, it's just something that – because I am uh, – I'm not overly good at telling the camera or even taking pictures of what's about to happen. Um, so I, I find myself – telling a lot of what happened <laughs> you know so right. i was thinking how can i mitigate that because i sure do a shitty job of forgetting because i get in the moment you know i get excited there's a good buck he's bedded let's go get him you know um but yep, yep. when it so when it comes to uh when it comes to you and taking your photos you know you were you were talking about uh adding depth to your photos what is what's a couple ways that uh, that you prefer to add depth? Uh, you know, what, what are some of your favorite ways that you add depth to your photos? Well, I think one of the easiest ways, once you understand that the basics um, is adding depth of field. Cause what, what our jobs as I, I, you know, as a photographer is, is a to tell a story, but B to get rid of all the stuff in that image. That's not telling the story. You don't want distractions, right? So if you're taking a picture of your subject um, a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm shooting at a really, really shallow depth of field in order to put the subject into focus and then everything else that's supporting kind of out of focus, you know, whether it be in the mountains, you don't want that person to blend into the mountains. 
say. So what you're doing is you're adding a shallow depth of field. The person's in focus. The mountains are out. And the other thing I do a lot of times is add something in the foreground, and that's usually really out of focus, something extremely close to the camera. And that's just adding like a texture. A lot of times I'll use leaves or I'll, a branch or a rock or whatever. And there's times I'll even pick something up off the ground. You know, I'm looking through my camera, and I'll just put that just right on the corner or the bottom – and it's going to be really blurry because I'm using the shallow depth of field, but it just adds a little something to it. So it's not so crystal clear, boom. You know, there's, there's a little bit something in the foreground, the background's out of focus. That's one way of doing it. I mean, there's angles you could do. Like if you're taking a shot of a, uh, like an archer, instead of just doing a perfect side shot, there's definitely a place for that. But other times, you know, maybe three-quarter angle on them. Um, this needs to add depth. Let me see. There's, you know, there's... I, I really just adding elements in there in, in, into your scene. And yeah, I would, I would say shallow, shallow depth of field is probably my go-to for that. That's awesome. You know, and, and I think, you know, the, the thought of like you were just saying, adding texture. So like putting leaves in there and stuff like that. I think, I think that's really excellent stuff to discuss because I, you know, me, myself, I, you know, I, I've been, film and hunts for the last oh two two or three years seasons now um and so once again the filming aspect is is different than focusing on taking photos aspect and so the thought of throwing leaves in there or you know holding maybe a tree branch slightly in front of the lens or whatever so it's slight not right in the middle you know obviously but kind of off to the side or whatever um the thought of doing stuff like that is something that i don't i don't think a whole lot about you know so those are those are really interesting ideas and topics uh to to, to discuss for me because it's it's something that I've never even really taken into consideration to be honest with you <laughs> yeah you know and that's you you want to be able to separate out whatever you want to force people's eyes where you want it to be you know and that's kind of our jobs is to force people to look at but you also have to tell the rest of the story right otherwise you just put somebody in front of a white screen all the time and that's it no you still need to see the mountains or the plains or the water or whatever it may be whatever else is telling that part of the story but that's not your focal point so our job as photographers cinematographers whatever it is is to force people's eyes where we want them to be yeah absolutely and i uh it, it the more i'm learning about it i it's it's amazing how many ways there is to do that <laughs> It is. Oh yeah. I mean, there's framing your subject using natural things to kind of build a, build a frame in there. You know, there's obviously having your subject do the action or you know, per performing some type of action that's going to force your eye towards that. There's all types of ways that you could force the eye where you want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I have, uh, the whole thing that kind of obviously kept, kicked off this podcast um was you know i read your uh your your blog about uh you know capturing action uh within the image because mm -hmm. I, I think that's just such an interesting topic within itself um so before we dive into capturing image or action in your image why don't you kind of let the audience know just a little bit about your blog and where they can go to find that blog? 
Yeah, sure. It's easy. It's just my name. It's uh, Fred Bohm. It's B-O-H-M.com. And yeah, I, I do a lot where I'm just writing about my hunts. There's a bunch of stuff like I do with that. But, you know, recently, I guess within the last six months, I started up a photography series specifically catered to hunters. Uh, and it was just kind of something like, you know, what I've learned over the years and um, how to take better pictures. And I just kind of wanted to get that out there to the public. You know, it helps people. You know, some of it might be beginner stuff for sure. You know, but some of it I think is got some advanced stuff. I didn't want to get too crazy with it with technical stuff with the cameras. So I try to keep it real. Here's the basics on how to, you know, use the camera, what you want to look for. Or you could just, or if I mention it, you could just go into YouTube and look it up real quick. and like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. You know, instead of me going and regurgitating how to use, you know, your SLR camera, you can find that elsewhere. But then how to apply that to hunting specifically, you know, a lot of that has to do with like, you know, how you, how you frame a trophy shot, um, capturing action, as we just talked about, you know, with involving hunting, you know, everything just kind of catered and based around hunting itself. So you can just go to fredbone.com uh, and all that stuff's on there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. And, uh, if you want to see the images as well. Also on Instagram is Fred Bohm and then Facebook too. So yeah, any cool. of the above. Wicked, wicked. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of dive into, um, into capturing action in your photos. Cause uh, you know, I, obviously I read the blog and uh, I looked at, uh, you know, some of the, some of the pictures that you had on there and I agree with you, you know, when you, when you can capture the action, um, it, man, it just adds a whole different aspect to that image. I mean, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's funny. The, the one where you were talking about, uh, the, the side by side, you know, and it, and it, the whip zoom where you just basically pulled out really yeah. quickly. I, when I look at that, that image creates so much movement. It almost makes me seasick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm actually, I'm, I'm looking at that right now because I just pulled the page up and yeah, I'm looking at the same thing and I'm getting a little bit dizzy. So I'm going to go ahead and scroll off of that. <laughs> like that. But that's amazing. You know, you really think about that's a still image that is that is doing that. It's creating that much movement uh, visually for a person. That's amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's just, you know, the, the, I'd probably say one of the best ways to capture action and what that's doing right there is uh, motion blur. So that's one of the things we have as a, as a photographer. And it's something, um, if you just have a, a standard camera or your phone, you know, you're using your phone to take pictures, typically you're not going to be able to caption that unless it, or capture that unless it's really low lighting and it kind of forces that, that, that automatic camera to do that. But what you're doing there is you're trying to capture any type of action in the scene and whatever's, whatever's causing that action or whatever's doing that action is actually blurry because that's the natural thing. I mean, that happens in, in video as well. We just don't see each individual frame, but there's, if somebody's running by, there's a blur to it. And that's what feels natural mm -hmm. um, for motion. And then, but you could do that with still photography as well. So I, in this one, I went into like two different things. One of them is capturing motion blur and the other one's implied action. So the motion blur, I'm sure everybody, probably the best example is you were talking earlier about a stream. And there's a lot of times what you do is you use a lower shutter speed, take that picture so that your shutter's open for a long time. What shutter's doing is allowing light in. So any movement that goes through the frame during that, it's going to be blurry. 
So a lot of times you've got people see these streams or a waterfall and it's really like this creamy look to it. Um, that's just motion blur. So you're opening up that shutter for, oh, I don't know, maybe a 30th of a second, depending on how fast the uh, stream is. Or if you've seen those night shots of the stars where there's a streak to them, well, that's motion blur. And that's implying that, well, the stars started here in the beginning of the picture and then they ended here. So you're just capturing that action in there. And it's a great way of you know, telling the story and, and, and showing more than just, okay, somebody's still in the image or something is still in the image, that there's actually a movement in there. And you know, that's, that's just motion blur. Gotcha. So what that really involves, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, so, so what that really involves is a slow shutter speed. So typically with a camera, what you're able to do, you know, without getting wobbly and stuff blurry is one sixtieth of a second or faster. Anything else in handheld gets blurry. So typically what you're going to want to do if you want to capture motion blur for the most part is use a tripod and then you're going to go to a slower speed than that. Um, you know, without having visuals, since we're just talking audio here, there's another one I have in here. If people kind of want to follow along as they're doing is jump on my uh, website uh, and look up this action thing is like, I'm stoking this fire and the sparks are going up. And I left that thing open for, I think about a quarter of a second. And you actually see the, the motion blur of the actual um, uh, sparks in there. Yep. Just a cool way of doing it instead of just a picture of a fire. You know what I mean? So you're just trying to think of different ways of of showing action within a still image and a great way of doing that yeah it's motion blur so with with that fire one for instance it, it, you know you kind of brought up a couple questions um how do you, do you just do you test it at several different shutter speeds and you kind of pick the one that looks the best because you know i've i've taken a couple nighttime photos with fires and everything like that and and the streaks are you know obviously that's it's kind of what you're looking for to imply action, but it looks super cool. Um, but, you know, I guess, wh how do you know what kind of the sweet spot is of, of where you want that, that blur on, on an example as like the fire? Well, that's the beauty of the age we live in now. So that's with digital. I mean, pixels are cheap, right? So back in the day with film, you didn't know what you actually wanted and developed. So what I'm doing and say an image like that, I have it connected to my phone when, I, when, I, when I'm queuing that shutter from a distance. I have it to my phone so I could see exactly what's going on um, right after the shot. So on that one, you know, I might have started with like a 30th of a second, like, eh, not enough motion blur. Let's drop that down to a quarter of a second or one second or whatever it was. So right there, you know, as soon as that image is done, I look at it. If it's not good, then I just either, you know, either make it go slower, the shutter or faster or whatever's needed to be done in that image. I'm instant, instantly right there, you know, able to analyze it and then correct it. Gotcha. Yeah. And that, and I guess you, you would kind of be looking for, you know, if, if you, you know, if you go faster than say one thirtieth of a second, um, and the streaks aren't maybe as long as you want them, then you would slow it down a little bit and then slow it down until the, you know, exactly. the streaks or sparks are sparks or where you want them to be. So yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. And then I, you just do a bunch of, a bunch of images. Yep. <laughs> for sure 
Yep, you just do a bunch of images because you may have your subjects moving in there or something like that. And that's the other problem with like slow shutter speeds is if you have the human element in there, well, we tend to move a bit. So you have, you're going old timey, like the old Western pictures there. You know, you make it, everybody sit super, super still while everything else, like the sparks or whatnot in the image, that's providing the movement and not the human. Otherwise you get that weird ghosting type thing going on. Right. If you move, I will kill you. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, it's not fun to hunt with them. I'm not gonna lie. The people that <laughs> all my hunting partners is like, okay, we're gonna redo this, redo this. Okay, stop there. Nope, shoot that bow again. But, you know, it, it, I'm sure it gets completely annoying. <laughs> How many arrows do you have in your quiver? Because chances are, I'm gonna need you to shoot all of them. <laughs> exactly. You're gonna be tired by the end of this session. I can promise you that. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. So. Um, what about, uh, what about kind of the art of the, you know, the implied action, you know, obviously I, you know, I look from, from somebody like myself where I've never really focused on images, I would assume like the, like the one right here where you're jumping, uh, through the air across, it looks like a crack, uh, in the rocks. I would assume one of the main things that comes into that is once again, pixels are cheap and you want to get the timing between you and jumping and the camera all on the same page. Correct. Yeah. So that one right there, I probably jumped that damn thing. I don't know, 50 times. <laughs> There's that. There's, if, if there was somebody on the outside watching me, like, dude, this guy's not a hunter, man. He just sits around, he sits there and dicks around with his camera all day. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of that. So if you get into the photography thing and you're super, super serious about hunting, yeah, I don't know if that's going to be a good fit for you. I mean, I'm serious about it, but I also dick around a lot and you know, take a ton of images. But yeah, this particular shot, I mean, that one was, you know, that, I don't know. I, I probably jumped that thing 10 times. And then what I did is um, I just put on where, you know, like a burst, a burst shot so it'd shoot like 10 images so you just jump and hopefully oh well it didn't capture me in the perfect spot do it again do it again do it again and this i'm using a fast shutter speed i didn't want any motion blur now that's kind of more of this feeling of me hovering in the air there uh-huh so i used a fast shutter yeah i used a fast shutter speed on that and that's what kind of you know made that stop and the implied action is there's no other way for me to be in that air unless i provided some kind of action the action being jumping so that was the implied action in there whereas you know some with like stopping an arrow in the air is a fun one to do um that could end up taking a lot of shots as well but you're shooting at super high shutter speed and you're doing burst shots because i mean that arrow is ripping through the air what 280 feet per second so it's honestly, you're just getting lucky. And if your camera shoots, say, 12 frames a second, you know, there's a good chance that person you're shooting is going to have to do it 10 times before you get an acceptable picture right. out of it. Um, you know, and there's one, like, after that shot where I'm jumping, there's a, a picture where the, this bow is just bursting with water. And that's just something I kind of, like, saw ahead of time. We got caught in a rainstorm, and I'm like, oh, don't shoot your bow. Hold on, hold on. Because I knew the action of the bow and that shot is just going to blow all that water off of it. So it was a great opportunity to catch some action in the shot. And that's what that image is. So it's a lot of times, again, you're not, sometimes you're planning ahead of time. And then a lot of other times just, you know, you, you see something coming, you just got to be aware of the environment of what's going on. And then you try to, you know, capture whatever kind of action you can. Yeah. You just kind of go with the flow. Yeah, I get it. So with, uh, you know, you were talking about the, uh, the star blur, you know, cause I've seen that a few times and I look at that, uh, and, and it's almost, 
my first thought, no kidding, Fred, I saw that. <laughs> and I was thinking, how in the hell did they have a shutter speed that lasted that long? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there's this thing called bulb mode within your camera. So what you could do is there's a thing that like you could uh, connect to your camera. The old ones had like these plungers, but nowadays it's all you know electronic. You connect it to your camera, and what it'll do is it'll hold it down to any predetermined time. You can say like I don't know, like 30 minutes, whatever you want to do for that type of shot. So something like that. Yeah, you you would just attach this other thing. Boom tell it how long you wanted to hold that open and then it'll hold it open. Or there's even ways, I, I mean, I could do it with my phone as well. You know, I could kind of put a predetermined time. I'm using a Sony a7R2. So you could do a lot of things these days, like right through your smartphone and then it, you know, connects to your camera. So yeah, that's the way to do it. Back in the day, it was a plunger. You'd actually push it in and mechanically like twist this screw that would hold it down. So yeah, that's, that's the way it's done. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, you can't just sit there and hold that button because you can't touch that camera if it's open for, I don't know, 30 minutes or something any type of shake is just going to totally screw up that shot. Gotcha. Could you, uh, I mean, in your opinion, could you take your camera, you know how they have those, uh, you know, there's certain tripod heads that you can automate a turn. Could you put it on, yeah. on a, you know, a, a fairly slow shutter speed and then do an automated turn and it would kind of blur those stars for you that way. Do you think that would work? Um, potentially, you know, I, I've never tried it that way. I've, I've seen cool shots where, you know, I mean, you could do it even with a GoPro. They make these things, um, old oven timers, like the mechanical oven timers that you could spin. Like I've made one of these where it'll be, it'll rotate like 180 degrees in 30 minutes or whatever. And then you could put the, like your, your GoPro on that and do a time lapse. And that would get something really cool, but that wouldn't be like the, the motion blur. That would just be almost like a video of, uh, the night sky, but you might be able to turn that to do that to the stars. Um, yeah, I bet you could. Yeah. Cause I, I didn't know, you know, I, I, I've messed with bulb, but very, very few times. Um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't know that you could, uh, basically put it on bulb and just, like you said, get that, uh, that extra deal for it. And then predetermine whatever, whatever set you want. I didn't know that you could do that. That's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, then you could like you could leave that on all night if you wanted to, and you know, just I mean, well, yeah, you you would probably wouldn't want to do that, but you know, like a, a pre a, a set amount of time. Yep, put it in there. Boom, it does it for you. Huh. Interesting. And what what is that called? Is is it a extra piece for your camera? Is it an app for your camera? Uh, my particular one, I could do that off my phone. It's like I think you get like Sony Play is the app, uh, and That's it connects directly to my Sony camera. Oh, I'm cool. able to put that in there. Uh, other cameras have it. Like it's something that'll attach into one of the ports into your camera. You know, it used to be called a plunger. Honestly, I, I haven't used one digitally since I have my phone and whatnot, but I, right, I maybe right. it's still called a plunger. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's, but, that's yeah, cool. You can get that Cause I, I have, uh, uh, the Sony, uh, a seven three. So, um, what, you know, one of their newer cameras. So I'll have to, I'll have to mess around with that for sure. Um, do you do much yeah. uh, with uh, with time lapses or anything like that? No, you know, again with the stills, I, I, here and there, I'll do that. Like I like I said with the uh, the GoPro, I've done stuff with that. And then honestly, you know, I've done a lot of time lapses while I'm shooting pictures. 
a lot of times, I, you know, if it's cool clouds going over a mountain or whatever, I'll just do the time lapse off of my iPhone. But um, no, I, I, you know, again, focusing on stills, I just haven't done as much recently with, uh, with time lapses. I got you. So uh, as far as um, as far as like your your Sony A7R2 is concerned, if you go and you do, you know, with your phone app and you do a bulb for I I don't know, cuz I I don't know what the battery life is like on on the A7R2. I know on my A6300 it was terrible. Horrible. You know, the A7 III yep, same is thing. decent, but so what, what do you do? Do you hook up like an external power source to make sure your battery doesn't die? Or, or you know, what, what do you do to, to make sure that your camera stays alive through your whole shot when you do something that long? You know, the only time I would have the camera running really long is if I was doing time lapses. You know, if you're going to set it like almost all night and just keep boom, ba boom, shooting pictures. Um, that's the only time I would do it. And since I haven't really done time lapses, I, you know, haven't had that issue with losing power. I mean, the A7R R2 is horrible. I mean, I, I burn hiking in the backcountry. I take six batteries with me just for stills. Damn. That's not video. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll, and I'll burn through those. It's 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 pathetic, but um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's external battery sources that you know. There's I, I know a lot of the cameras have that thing that goes underneath it, and it'll have a monster battery in there. Uh, I'd imagine they have that. I just I haven't had the need for it, so I haven't looked into it too much. I got you, I got you. Um, so uh, do you with with your photography? Do you take many night photos? I do. Yeah, yeah. You know when when there's when the moon's not there, you know, when it's a new moon or something, and then it's really, really bright stars, or if there's no light pollution, yeah, yeah, I do a good bit of that as well. So, what, what is one of the, you know, what are some of the biggest factors in taking a quality night photo? I mean, obviously, uh, like like we've already mentioned several times, you know, you. You, you can't be touching the camera because you have a slow shutter speed and that will mess it up. So I know, I know something like, you know, putting your timer on for two or five seconds is, is a really helpful thing, but what are some of the other, uh, you know, some of the other adjustments you're making to your camera as far as like ISO or exposure or whatever else, what's some of the stuff that you really focus on and, and mess with to get a really good, clear nighttime photo? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I think the absolute number one thing is it has to be on a, um, on a tripod because there could be no movement of the camera itself. Otherwise I'll totally screw up the shot because your shutter uh, is going to be open so long. So that being said, you also want some kind of external trigger for your shutter. You can't really push the button on your camera because even that shake in the beginning is going to mess up your shot, gotcha. typically. Um, so because what I usually do, and then it's a battle for ISO and, and not having it super grainy. So usually I'm about 15 seconds, I'll leave it open. Anything longer than that, you're going to start getting just the movement, you know, the rotation of the earth is going to start giving you motion blur. This is if you don't want motion blur, you just want those nice crisp, crisp stars and, you know, and, and scene and whatnot. So I'd say right about, I put mine right about 50, yeah, about 15 seconds would be the longest I'd shoot that. And then, you know, if possible, you want the fastest lens as possible. So, you know, if you could get something down to about a 1.4 or 1.8. So then you're allowing as much light as possible in there. 
Um, that's obviously, that's, that's a really important part. And then the only adjustments you really have to work with is going to be your ISO. So as you bump your ISO up more and more, you're getting, it's getting grainier, artifacted, you know, so it's, it's kind of getting muddier would be the way. So what you're trying to do is, yeah, keep that shutter open for 15 seconds, get the fastest lens you can to take a shot. You know, a wide angle lens is usually your best bet in order to capture the most sky. Um, and then it's not going to mess with your shallow depth of field. Cause in this instance, you don't want a shallow depth of field. You want to get everything nice and crisp. Um, and then, yeah, you bump up, bump, you know, and then try to start with a low ISO, take a picture, you know, and, and if it's just not coming out, it's not bright enough, you know, you just slowly start bumping up your ISO. And if you're shooting in raw, there's a lot you could do in post in order to really enhance stuff. And I would always suggest shooting in raw because in post-production, it gives you so much more um, versatility and you can really pull colors out and it gives you a better dynamic range and all this different types of stuff that you're uh, – benefits that you're going to get it's going to take a lot more space up but i mean you know cards are cheap these days so just bring a couple extras in with you and you know try not to shoot in something compressed like jpeg or whatnot you know stick with the raw gotcha gotcha uh one of the things that i've noticed that i struggle with when i take a nighttime photo so uh i'll give you kind of a scenario and, and maybe you could kind of walk me through how you would mitigate what i'm having issues with but like when i so you know, I shot an animal, for instance, and, you know, most of the time, us as hunters, we're either going to shoot it early morning or right before dark. So, like, I shot this buck in Idaho right before dark, and I went to go take some, uh, like, some pack-out photos, and I noticed uh, one of the things that I was struggling with the most was me being in focus, you know, is it was basically dark out so i was trying you know i tried to set my pack out there and you know get focused on my pack and then i would turn the timer on 10 seconds i'd run over i throw my pack on and try and get pictures but it just it seemed like no matter what i tried to do it just i it wasn't all it wasn't as clear as i wanted it to be and i but i hell man i had no idea what else to try so um right right What's something, you know, what in that scenario, what, what's something that maybe you would have done differently? If anything, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> right, right. No, there could be a couple of factors in that. Now, was your camera on an um, automatic setting? Yep, it was, it was in, uh, my camera was in uh, autofocus, yep. Okay, so if it was, if it was in autofocus, that could be an issue because what you do is um, – Typically, like in scenarios like that, I would put that in manual focus, get it on your tripod. You know, if you're shooting your backpack to get like, okay, that's where I'm going to stand. I would put that in manual focus because a lot of times what's going to happen is if you're running over there, maybe it's catching you moving and it's focusing there. If the light's really bad, that's an issue because the camera doesn't know where to focus. So definitely put that on manual. Shine your headlamp on your backpack so you can see it and then you get a nice crisp focus. And the other part could be is if the camera was on automatic and you didn't have the, the settings where you could control your, your shutter and your f-stop, if it was on an automatic setting on that, it might have been too slow of a shutter speed. So even with you standing there, maybe it went to say something like a quarter of a second. Well, you standing there, just any type of movement is going to be blurry gotcha. in that shot. So what I would try to do is use your headlamp to light you. I do this often is um, – like if you're standing there, you have your camera there, just put your headlamp somewhere on the ground and light yourself 
uh-huh. uh, to give the camera a little bit something to work. Yeah, give it a little bit something to work with. Now, if you had two people, what I love to do for, and you know, again, if people are going on to my uh, website to see this, I have a shot where my buddy had just shot a um, an elk, and a typical thing with a hunter. Now you shoot him right at last light, but now you got to break down this animal. But of course, he wants a picture of. You know, this was his first elk, and I'm like, well, damn, we got to get something cool with this. Right. So if you have two people, what I did is, yeah, so I set this up on a tripod on the animal. I took his headlamp, backlit him with that, so he's kind of got this ring around him of light, and so did the elk and its antlers. So I used his headlamp, kept that on, and then I walked through the scene because I kept that shutter open. Oh, God, I'm going from memory here. I have no idea. Maybe say a – Maybe like five seconds, something like that. So he's got to stay extremely still. But then I walked through the scene with my headlamp, hitting him, hitting the the elk, going behind them and all that. You don't see me at all because it's five seconds and I'm constantly moving. Even though I walked right through the scene, all you see is the headlamp that I'm holding in my hand and it leaves this cool streak going around it. And it was a really cool way to light an animal and your subject. Um, so I suggest, you know, if, if people are kind of confused what I'm talking about, jump on my, um, on my blog and go to the Capturing Action um, uh, photo- uh, blog on, on the photography series, and you'll see that picture, and it'll make a lot more sense to you. But there's a lot of stuff you can do with lighting at night, uh, especially if you have two people where you can walk around, and that's called light painting. You could kind of take your headlamp, and, oh, it needs more light over here, and you just shine it on for a second. Now you've got five seconds. If your shutter's open for five seconds – you got five seconds to play with and hit different areas in the scene to kind of light it up. So it's a real cool way of doing it. Yeah, for sure. And, and when I, you know, I, cause I, you know, I read that post in my uh, course questions came up cause I was thinking, man, you know, with the five seconds that you're walking around and you're shining your light. Um, so, so basically every spot that you shine your headlamp, the camera gathers that light and basically keeps it there um, exactly. for the photo. Yeah, that's 100% it. So it's got five seconds it's open. So anywhere that headlamp or whatever, you know, whatever light source you're using, I think it's just, it, it adds a lot more character than, say, just using a flash. Because a flash is coming from one angle. Yeah. It's going to put really hard shadows on things. And then where that cool light streak you get through that image, if you're looking at that, you're not going to obviously get that with a flash. That's a headlamp, and that's actually me walking around them. And that. So you can get some really cool character, really cool style in these images by leaving that shutter open for a long time and then doing exactly what you, you know, just you're painting different areas within the scene. And, you know, you could even do if anything that's not moving. You could do multiple takes and – take another image and then you just paint the body of the elk since that's not moving. And, you know, and then later in Photoshop, go paint that layer in, which gets a lot more technical. I don't, I don't want to go too far with it, but uh, there's a ton you could do with night shots like that and, uh, uh, and using a slow shutter speed. Yeah. And, and, and I, uh, I've always thought that the night shots look really, really cool. Um, I've never, uh, I've never known anyone that does many of them, you know, and, and I usually hunt by myself, you know, so, so getting a, you know, a good pack out picture or something like that, especially when it's dark, man, I tell you what, I have struggled with that. (laughs) Like you would not believe. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a tough one, and maybe that brings up a good subject. I might do a a, a, a specific article into light painting at night. Because I mean, you could think if you just know the rudimentary, the basics in Photoshop and like and layering in it, man, you could do some super cool stuff with that. Where you could take five or six images, and then you could literally stand out there and you know and shine your your headlamp on a tree, and then take that as a layer and go paint that tree into the image. You could do some really really cool stuff with night photography. Maybe I need to. Maybe you know, try to try to get something. You gave me a good idea there. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll do another post on that specific. That that would be wicked because you know something with with your light painting. You know, uh, I was thinking, man, you know, here here I could make sure that my backpack is in focus. I could turn the timer on to ten seconds or use uh, a trigger, you know, from the phone. And as soon as that five second camera clicks and starts going you know i could use my headlamp to paint both my legs my back my rack and then just before it ends put it back on my head and face it forward um that would be interesting i don't know how it would turn out but that would that would be quite interesting it's a little bit tough if you're painting yourself because now you're getting that motion in there you know gotcha. so anything with light yeah. Yeah, everything would be blurry in that case because now you're going back to that, you know, old Western, old timey pictures again where everybody has to freeze for like a long time. So everything needs to be kind of still within that image in order for that to work. Like say that if your shutter's open for five seconds, whatever's in there for five seconds, that needs to be absolutely as still as possible. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, last thing I kind of want to end with is, you know, we've, we've talked quite a or you know, you've mentioned several times about utilizing Photoshop. Um, and, and I definitely, I don't want to dive into Photoshop that good Lord, we, who knows how long we could talk just about Photoshop. But what I was wondering is, you know, did you self teach yourself? Uh, did you take any kind of courses? Did you learn maybe from YouTube? You know, where'd you kind of pick up Photoshop from? Oh, uh, probably all the above. You know, I, I actually went to school for motion design. So, you know, we use Photoshop extensively more after effects than anything. And then, you know, the cinema 40, a lot about like 3d software as well. Gotcha. But Photoshop was incorporated in that. And I really didn't do too much with images with that. So I kind of picked that up later. So I have a lot, you know, pretty extensive knowledge. But you know, I'm telling you, like these days, I think any of those technical schools are just going, going bye-bye in a hurry because there's so many great uh, tutorials online that you can learn this stuff these days. You know, what you would pay tens and tens of thousands of dollars to go to school for, yeah. you could just get free now, spend a couple nights a week learning this stuff. And I mean, you could be an expert in it in no time. There's a lot of really good, uh, uh, you know, Photoshop tutorials out there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Fred, I, uh, man, I can't thank you enough for hopping on the podcast and uh, sharing, you know, all the, all the knowledge and information that you have about, about, you know, photos and images and man, adding depth to photos and, and really the importance of adding depth to photos. Cause you know, like I had mentioned coming from spending most of my time behind the camera filming, you know, it's, it's different 
then with you know when i when i got to add depth in a photo it's a lot different as you know so um yeah sure. I, I just appreciate you taking the time and, and walking through that stuff and uh I, I look forward to your to your blog on or your post on your nighttime photos because i will be i will be definitely checking that out <laughs> No, no. Thanks for inspiring me to do that. It's something I never even really thought about, but I know it's getting more and more popular, especially like, you know, with Adam Greentree and all the stuff he's posted with the nighttime photography. Uh, yeah, that might not be a bad idea to get something up there. Just kind of give uh, people the technical know-how on how to do something like that. Cause it's not that complex. Um, and yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And I, I appreciate you, you having me on, being able to speak towards it.